A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello again from Cannes, it's Michael Leader here. We've gone from outside the uh, Little White Lies flat in the old town now to come to the uh, trendier climbs of uh, one of the boutique hotels here to talk to legendary publicist, really, well, and Cannes regular Charles McDonald. Charles, thank yes, you for sitting indeed. down with us. It's a pleasure. I'm not sure that I call this quite a boutique hotel, but it's very practical. It's you should a very see, nice garden. You should see our gaff, okay. really. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charles... We're interested to hear the different experiences of the Cannes Film Festival. We've talked a lot about the journalist's experience of bunking down, fire to a room, getting up early, downing some espresso, queuing to see the latest films. But for a publicist, what's the experience like? Well, it's a knackering one. Certainly my job really is to kind of try and coordinate all you awful press people (laughs) and work out a press strategy for each film that I work on and launch it here at Cannes. It's a weird job, Uh, it's a funny old job, but it's one that I really enjoy, mainly because I'm lucky enough to work regularly with a lot of directors who I really love and Mm -hmm. respect, and that makes the kind of battling on their behalf kind of worthwhile, Mm -hmm. quite frankly. It's a bit like Bob Hoskins memorably described his directorial debut when somebody asked him, what's it like? He said, it's been like pecked to death by a thousand pigeons. Uh, It's a plethora of questions about when such a screening. Can I do this? Can't I do that? Can I move my interview group, etc., etc.? So it's pretty full on. And certainly coming back from Cannes, what I just want to do is to sort of flop, really, and not say anything to anybody for at least two days. Okay. And you're coming to the end of Cannes now, I suppose. Do you have a busy first week and does it get quieter now in the second week? Yeah, we had a ridiculous first week. I mean, Jim Jarmusch is somebody that I've worked with for years, like Ken Loach. Mm -hmm. So... It was very full-on right from the outset. And, uh, you know, the idea of landing on Sunday and then just literally getting straight into it in mm-hmm. protocol meetings and stuff, is uh, it's, it's very full-on. But um, those are two of the directors that I yeah. love working with. And for Jim, Cannes is not always a pleasant experience. Right. And I kind of sympathize, really, with the director, however ebullient they are. You know, they are bringing their baby to Cannes. Mm. They're bearing their soul and showing it for the first time to people. And as you know better than I do, the judgment these days is instant. Mm -hmm. And it can be euphoric, but it can be extremely brutal. So I sympathize with how nervous they are. And I guess what I try and do is to make the whole experience as 
smooth and calm as possible. But um, there is a famous thing called the publicist's run, whereby the top of the body is sort of fairly serene and calm, but the little legs underneath are <laughs> running like mad. Uh-huh. So we try and keep that sort of craziness and the stress that we're feeling away from the directors and the right. actors as much as possible. And cushion them from it, I suppose. Well, a little bit. I know it sounds a bit wimpy, but uh-huh. I mean, it's a big number if you imagine that it's your vision. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's a treat that you're selecting for can, but it's a, it really is a cruel thing. I've seen Terence Davis, you know, really, really hit hard by some negative reviews out here for films to such an extent that he's a sensitive fellow, as we all know, but he was unable to write for six months after Cannes. Yikes, right. Yeah. And that's something that I know Thierry Fiumeau and the Cannes establishment have tried to change the, the embargoes, the way the press screenings work, so that the filmmakers could be on the red carpet and the tweets are already coming in from the press screening. So I suppose, yes. does that help a little bit? Yeah, you're right. There is a big concern mm. about that. And again, I think the press found it very hard this year mm. because he decided that he was going to issue and make his press screen schedule it was only delivered very very late and we had to fight quite hard to ensure that there was a press screening enough in advance of the evening screening so that the press have a little bit of time to consider a film and to write up their reviews mm-hmm. the trade reviews in particular as you know those are for variety hollywood reporter screen etc are incredibly important as far as the life mm-hmm. of a film is concerned and there if you like the sort of bedrock of buzz maybe that you get from a film here And it seems to me that it's only right that they have a little bit of time. Speed is of the essence. We know everybody wants to get their review up first. Um, And it looked at one stage as though the embargo was going to lift at the end of the press screening, which Mm -hmm, is, mm -hmm. you know, the same time as the official screening. And that's asking a lot of the journalists, for whom I also have a lot of sympathy here. (laughs) It's, It's a lot of work, and you rely on them. I mean, to be honest with you, I think that it was Xavier Dolan's experience that really kind of drove Thierry Fremaux to think that another way had to be worked out. But I think possibly that there's a slight lack of respect on his part for the part that the media play down here. Now, you may expect me to say that as Mm -hmm. a publicist, a snivelling publicist that works with the media, but without the media, frankly, the festival simply doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Why would anybody bring their film to be launched here if there weren't a quorum of good media? Yeah, exactly. I suppose that experience of Cannes, that instantaneous, quick turnaround reviews and opinion is the only experience I've ever had of Cannes. How long have you been coming here? I haven't really counted, I dare not, but probably (laughs) over 30. So the whole... must have changed so much in that time. Yeah, I think the way that everybody works. I mean, the old days when you'd sort of knock on somebody's door and say, look, you know, do you fancy having lunch and a bit of an interview at the same time? Mm. Clearly, those are long, long gone. I mean, the small things like television interviews, which... You know, I remember even 10 years ago, you'd explain to people that actually we were going to use a junket crew, i.e. a fixed crew, Uh and the journalists would simply go in and interview a director or an actor one after the other. That's long gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, they would complain bitterly, but I can't possibly do an interview for less than 15 minutes. (laughs) And now the way the media is, of course, they accept, you know, relatively well Mm -hmm. an interview of five or six minutes. The Americans do tend to go for the four-minute interview and okay. paired interviews, which uh-huh. is ludicrous, but what can I tell you? Uh-huh. And the experience for the filmmakers, I suppose, in, the, in those three, four decades you've been coming here, you've developed quite close relationships with these filmmakers, I suppose. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's much less relaxed, I suppose, uh-huh. than it was, if ever Cannes was relaxed. But it's very frenetic. I mean, but that is what makes Cannes what it is. Mm-hmm. It is very frenetic. It's very, very full-on. There's a huge market going on. There are 
probably twice the amount of accredited press here than there are, for example, in Berlin. Mm-hmm. But I sense also that he feels a little bit threatened by Venice, which uh-huh. is very much... Barbera has done a great job there. He's selected some very interesting films. Not that I agree with the whole ghastly awards kudos thing, mm-hmm. but it's very much become the kickoff place for awards films. Exactly. And I think, you know, Fromo's sense that Cannes is totally preeminent... No, I think has been challenged, certainly. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think beforehand, everybody wondered what was going to happen to Venice. And Cannes was absolutely the be-all and the end-all. I think it's still the number one sort of festival, certainly in terms of prestige. Mm-hmm. But uh, Venice is a challenge to him. But then Cannes still has their filmmakers, I suppose. You know, Jarmusch has been here with many of his previous films. Ken Loach always seems welcome here. Is that, is that the case? You're right, absolutely. And I think he clings on to that, certainly. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of, like, Andre Arnold, for example, and all the names you've cited are absolutely right. I think Andre Arnold, you know, became a daughter of Cannes. Mm-hmm. And then when she decided or had the temerity to go to Venice with Wuthering Heights, for example, ah. you know, you worry whether or there is a certain concern that maybe Cannes are going to say, well, forget it the next time. Uh, you simply won't be invited. <laughs> so there is that. And I, and I, you know, listen, Cannes is a French festival mm-hmm. and we all know how the French are. And I think they feel they are the number one. Yeah. It also has such a, a striking iconography, Cannes, going up the steps, having Thierry... Stand at the top and beckon the filmmakers up. All of that palaver—is that enjoyable for the filmmakers to go through, or is it? I think it's a bit of an ordeal. Well, I think it's a bit of an ordeal. Some of them like it. Some of them aren't that keen Mm -hmm. on it at all. Um, I think sometimes the whole protocol, you know, lacks a sense of Mm humour. I remember one of Ken's Scottish films. I think it was Sweet Sixteen. And all the young Scottish kids who'd never done any acting at all before, these are kids from the street of Glasgow, effectively, they behaved impeccably through the whole festival. They were wearing their kilts, and they did the red carpet. Up they climbed. This Mm -hmm. was, of course, in the days of Gilles Jacob as well. Uh And I remember, I think it was Martin Comston actually, got to the top of the stairs and cheekily looked as he turned around and looked back at the crowds and all the throwers, just lifted surreptitiously one corner of his kilt. (laughs) It wasn't a flash. It was Uh really something quite surreptitious. And, of course, the crowd loved it, and Mm -hmm. it was hilarious. But Jacob gave him a very, very stern, unamused look. Uh And, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit like that, I think. That's terrific, really. Maybe it's the innocence of youth that allows people to mess around like that. The same thing happened here. These were very untried actors Mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm. film, apart from Chris Hitchin. And, you know, they really behaved beautifully. And Mm -hmm. um, Reese Stone, for example, didn't even have a passport. He'd never been abroad beforehand. But uh, they had an amazing time. And it's nice for me to sit down with those kind of actors and try and before the festival, give them a sense of what they're walking into. And it's uh-huh. truly a bubble. Right. And, uh, I mean, Debbie Honeywood, the actress, was absolutely goggle-eyed arriving at the mm-hmm. Carlton and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And I have to say, Victoria Beckham, hats off to her. She gave her a dress, and that made her feel quite secure. She looked right. great. And the following morning, Victoria... I had the taste to actually text her and tell her how beautiful she looked. Oh. So that made her day, yeah, you know, you can sure. imagine. Yeah. D- is there any chance for filmmakers and cast and crew to keep, so to say, uh, uh, to let their hair down while oh, they're yeah. out here? Yeah, yeah. yeah, sure, absolutely. Once the but of course, happened. Well, the traditional thing is that, I mean, obviously it's changed slightly, bearing in mind, as we were talking about earlier, the press screening situation. But generally, the official screening is followed by a party, mm-hmm. understandably. Mm-hmm. 
But my interviews, the international interviews, and I work generally here in conjunction with a French publicist, happen the following day. So I'm sort of buzzing around trying to persuade them not to go too crazy mm -hmm. because the pattern often is on the international day that you get extremely bleary-eyed actors who really tied one on the night before right. and you have to drag them kicking and screaming through an <laughs> exciting day of international print groups and TV yeah. interviews. But. How do you prepare them for that? How do you G them up? Is there a... Well, I try and explain to them the, what the day is uh -huh. and that if they really are hungover, it's going to be a very, very long day. And I think it's respectful to the press to give some energy back to them. I mean, it's a tough job for the press. You know, it's, it's, they're there for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And it's a slog fitting screenings in and interviews and rushing about and everything else. And I think the least they deserve is a little bit of energy mm -hmm. and desire to actually do some interviews. Yeah. Do you get the chance to go out and see much while you're here? Well, I don't. But as I said, I mean, I've had a really busy first week with uh -huh. Jarmusch and Loach and then Almodovar and a little French film, Zlotowski, today. So as we speak, my interviews are finished and I'm mm -hmm. rubbing my hands at the prospect of Mr. Tarantino's effort this afternoon. Yeah. And then I'll go and see the Korean film tonight as well. So Bong Joon-ho this evening. Yeah, yeah, and I heard really good things about it from the Bazin screening. So I'm very excited about that. I'll go and see Xavier Dolan, I think, mm -hmm. tomorrow. So no, I plan to gorge myself. Yes, yeah, so I, I suppose you do keep your foot in with, with films that you're not representing, I suppose, as well. Well, I try to. I think it's, you know, as often as not my conversation with journalists here so far, I mean, oh, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And they say, yeah, well, I think this. And what do you think? And I say, well, I haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. you know, up to now, I've really only seen the films that I've worked on. Right. A, a theme that's emerging from our dispatches from the festival this year is food. For press and journalists, it's something that you have to fit in between screenings, in between queuing situations, maybe a pizza there or a gelato here. Do you dine well out here? Any tips? No, I didn't say I dine well. I like a bit of sushi, which gives ah. you, you kind of feel good about yourself <laughs> and you can eat it quite quickly mm -hmm. and it's relatively manageable. I think the food in Cannes is bloody awful, actually, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. There's one Italian restaurant on the Rue Usch called Dalora. I had, did have lunch there yesterday, which I have to say was really good. Okay. But by and large, it, the food is terrible. So <laughs> it's not all about food. We may be in France, but this is not about the food. It's about the films? It's about the, the glamour? Well, I think food-wise, as you were saying, you've just got to grab whatever is in front of you whenever the opportunity arises. Don't ponce <laughs> about and say, oh, no, I won't. It's not lunchtime. Just grab it. <laughs> but at the days of sort of groaning buffets laid on by the studios around their junkets, I'm afraid are long gone. Yes, I heard also from some of my you know, older colleagues that there'd just be more spend to put on parties to you'd end up with you know tanks rolling down the palais for for the expendables or something like that so do you have much insight into that, those sorts of antics well i think like everything in this in this world you know budgets are definitely not what they were and the old days of stunts and stuff like you were mm -hmm. saying the expendables I mean, you can make a bit of a hit, but I think there was a slingshot thing here for Angry, Angry Birds, Birds 2. Too. I know. Did it make much of a hit? No. Not really. Um, so I think those days are long gone. Party-wise, quite frankly, I'm going to sound like an old fart now, but, you know, we handled train spotting here many, many moons right. ago. And that was an incredible party. I mm -hmm. mean, left field played and it was everybody was trying to get in and it was a big party. You could feel your internal organs being uh, massaged rather less than gently by the music you know we finished our work sort of at the party and we looked at our and said well it's 11.30 right well you know we need to be in bed by 3 latest and I remember all of us looked at our watches and it was sort of 8 o'clock in the morning and, wow. and that was it 
well, that was a few years ago. Uh, the next day was fine, actually. We mm-hmm. got through it on adrenaline, but the following day, forget it. So, Was it train spotting that had an interesting premiere here? Because it had already come out in the UK, I think? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, so Buzz had already mounted uh, for it. The Buzz it. was, you know, really extraordinary. Mm-hmm. But I think, really, the truth is, party-wise, there are so many parties of one kind or another. They all kind of meld into one another. Mm. And so I think my feeling is that if you're going to have a party, it's got to be amazing for some particular reason. Either Elton John's playing at your party, or you spend a lot of money, or or the food is incredible, or there's just something that lifts it above the kind of the humdrum nature of every beach party. And mm-hmm. I think I'm sure you and your press colleagues say, well, did you go to X party? Did you go to Y party? And they there's nothing that really differentiates them. So they're not really delivering value for money. I don't uh, think. Interesting. You might not be willing to choose favourites of the many filmmakers and films you've represented over the years, but are there any that you remember very fondly, a film that maybe had a breakout in Cannes or a great response? Well, I mean, I love working with Lynn Ramsey. I worked Mm. on all her films and, you know, every film that she's brought here and often under very trying circumstances, as you know. You Were Never Really Here, for example, was delivered literally dripping wet. And there was a lot of pressure on her to finish that film in time. So it's a fantastic buzz. When the film goes well, it's very well received by the critics. That feels great. Mm. And she's not one of nature's kind of natural interviewees, I would say. So, you know, I love trying to guide her through in the most painless way possible. That's always a pleasure. I remember... Many things with Ken, but I remember, well, two things, I suppose. One was Peter Mullen winning Best Actor for My Name is Joe, which is one of my favourites. Yeah. That was an incredible buzz. He was such a nice man, and his wife and daughter came to the ceremony. That was great. And Walking from the Majestic for Looking for Eric with Eric uh. Cantona all singing the Cantona yes. song. So I also remember recommending Justin Kurtzel's debut film, Snowtown, mm-hmm. to people, and... Um, some said yes I'll give it a whirl and came back and were you know mighty impressed it's a very tough film so helping to guide people towards kind of unknown films Mm. is also a tremendous buzz yeah well Charles thank you so much for talking with us we've spoken about queuing and the the lot of the poor journos but we've got to queue for two hours I think for Quentin Tarantino to make sure we get in you have a special badge you'll be waltzing straight through but I'm lucky I feel a bit sort of dodgy but I have got a pink job I Uh mean it's a very much a caste system here in Cannes (laughs) you look up at the whites who are allowed to go wherever they want Mm -hmm. and then there's pink with a dot yes pink and I believe you're a blue. Blue, which is the, the majority of the press, I think, out mm. here are blue. So we're a strong majority. But uh, we, we wait in the pen. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I, I, have, I have a book in my bag. Everything will be fine. Exactly. We all have deadlines to meet as well. But Charles, thank you well, good luck. so much. It's a pleasure. I'll nice see you to in the queue. This is Michael Eder for Truth and Movies out in Cannes, presented by 7 Digital. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 